You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MZBC Students. Some of the stuff that, that we sing in here together, the, the words that we, that we say, um, they're intimate and they're, they're deep and they're, they're, they're loving and they're devoted. Um, they're true, they're, they're based in truth, and, and they, they proclaim a commitment and a devotion and an emotion and a love um, that uh, is, is huge. Sometimes do you find yourself at a point when you're singing some of the stuff that we sing in here and, and knowing that that's not really true? Like, like when we're singing about this, this deep abiding love relationship, you're my only king forever. And we're like, well, it's, and it, it's not, it's aspirational. <laughs> you know, so I think sometimes we sing this stuff aspirationally, like, like I, I want to get to this point where this is true, where I feel like this writer felt when they wrote that. But a lot of times, I, I just being, I mean, if we're honest, a lot of times when you, when you come in, maybe you're distracted or you've been beat up spiritually or you've been apathetic spiritually, and, and sometimes it's, it's, not, it's not true. And you're saying, I, I love you like this. I love you with everything I have. It's, it, sometimes you find yourself wishing that you meant the stuff that you're singing. Or maybe remember a time when you, when you meant it, but right now it's, it's more of a hope than a truth. Where you, where you feel like you when you feel like you're, you're wishing you really did truly love Jesus the way we sing about loving Jesus, wishing it were true. I remember being a high school student. Um, I think I was it was pretty early on in my relationship with God when I was really following Him, and I was probably sixteen, seventeen, and and, and I, we we sang a lot and talked about about a lot of loving God. Loving God completely, loving God sacrificially, and, and a lot about loving God. And then and, and I got to a point one day when I was thinking about that, and, and, and I was thinking about, I don't, I don't exactly know what that means. I remember being 16, 17 years old and thinking, you know, I, it's, it's one thing for me to be singing about this and talking about this a lot, and, but, but it's, 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 I don't know if I'm actually doing that. Because I remember, I remember understanding a lot of the facts, understanding who Jesus was and what he had done for me and the whole, the whole thing there. I, I, I under, remember understanding the gospel, but it felt just like that. It felt like understanding. It didn't feel like love. Does that make sense to you? Is that where you're at? Where you understand the facts and it all makes sense to you, but, but that, do you, does it feel like love or does it feel like understanding, like knowledge? One of the most common conversations I have with people um, all the time, students, adults, it doesn't matter. One of the most common conversations I have is, is, is people saying, look, I don't, I don't feel anything. I don't feel him. I don't feel, I don't feel much. I get it. I understand. I mean, I, I, I believe it. I believe that Jesus walked the earth and that he died on a cross. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that to be true. I just don't feel anything. I don't feel him. Isn't the question often turns into, why, why wouldn't he let me feel him? Why would, why would God like hide that? Like, it feels like he's left me. It feels like God is gone or something, and I'm just left here, and now I just feel absence. 
You feel like that? I wanted, I remember being 17, 18, 16, 17 years old and just really wanting to, to truly love Jesus. And so what I did, I started reading through the New Testament and I, I started finding all these places where it talks about loving Christ and loving, loving our Savior and looking at how people did that. And, and then I went through the Old Testament, I was doing the same thing, looking at what it, what it looked like for people to love God, like how they actually did that. And not just... Not in an emotional way, but tangibly. How do they choose to love God? What did they, you can't see him, so how do you love God back? What do you do? We know that, that, that love is, you choose to love, right? Like you, you don't just, love is not an emotion. Love is a choice that produces emotion. When, you, when I say I love my wife, that means I'm going to do more than just feel something. So if I'm going to love God, there's going, to be, there's going to be an action there, and that action is going to produce emotion. But how do you do that? How do you actually love God? And then what happens when the, the emotion thing is gone, and, and it really doesn't feel like God's near anymore, and it feels like there's absence, and you don't feel much of anything, and all it feels like you have is knowledge of some stuff you've learned. I want to, I want to feel like I truly love God. I want to actually truly love Him. And the story that we're going to look at today is it's the story of, of, of two people interacting with Jesus. And in, this, in, the, in the picture of their interactions with Jesus, what we're going to find is, is one who loves much and one who loves little. We're going to find one person in the story who loves much and one person in the story who loves little. And in, in their story, in, in the dichotomy between these two people, we're going to find the key to truly loving Jesus. To truly feeling this, like, like a loving relationship with Jesus. We're going to see the difference in these two people. It's in Luke chapter 7. It begins in verse 36. A lot of it's going to be on the screen for you, I think, um, or maybe it won't. I don't remember. But, uh, but I, I love it when you've got your own version of the text. So if, you've got, if you want to get a Bible off a windowsill or your app or whatever out, that'd be good. So Luke chapter uh, 7, beginning in verse 36. The story starts like this. Jesus has been invited over to a Pharisee's house, and uh, because Pharisees like important people to come over to their house, Pharisees are super religious, rule-following kind of people. They've invited Jesus over, and so Jesus comes over, and, um, and, and then he's, it says that he's, uh, verse 36, it says he took his place at the table. He's reclining at the table. So this, this, I brought the coffee table in from the Chapel Commons, and this is why, because they, they didn't have like tall tables like we had. Like we have, you know, like your, your kitchen tables, you had chairs and stuff. They didn't have that, all right? So they would have like low tables like this. And if you're going to recline at a table, how do you do that? Like this, there's nowhere to put your feet under it, you right? And, and if, even if there was a place to put your feet under it, if seven people are sitting around a circular table and everybody's got their feet under it, that gets weird, doesn't it? So that, that's not how they sat. The way they would sit, they would recline kind of like this. You kind of lean on it. Make sense? You're going to kind of sit like that. I know you, like, you, can't, you can't see, but you, you get the idea, right? If you want to, if you want to be antisocial, you can do this. But if there's people across the table from you, you kind of have to do this. And so you have your, you have your meal, and you're, you'd be eating and have your drink or whatever, and you could talk to people across the table from you. And you kind of curl your legs up under you, and, and they're kind of sticking out that way. Okay? So your face is this way, and your feet are that way, and that's, that's the way this works. Okay? So Jesus is at the table at the Pharisee's house, and he's reclining at the table, and it says in verse 37, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When, when, she, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she, she, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. This is like a, uh, it's an expensive perfume, kind of in solid form, okay? It says that what she did, in verse 38, it says that 
standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Just imagine that. Are there like other people around? Okay? Are there at dinner? There's people around, like this, the, the, the person who owns the house is like this important, super religious guy or whatever. And Jesus is, is reclining at this table, and, he's, he's over, and then this woman comes up behind him and, and just starts weeping over him. Like crying over his feet. Like they didn't, have, they didn't have boots or something. It's very sandy and dirty. There's no sewer system. Like, it's gross outside. He starts weeping over his feet. And then wiping his feet with her hair. Then she's kissing his feet. And then anoint, and starts anointing his feet with his expensive perfume stuff. And there's other people around, like watching. That's like this super intimate thing. And, 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 and there's other, it, it feels... That feels weird, doesn't it? Would that make you feel weird? That would make me feel weird. And it did. Like, that's, that's exactly what happens. Verse 39, um, the people are, you know, the, the Pharisee that had him over, it says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, like, this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this was who was touching him, for she's a sinner. All right, so we, we're a whole lot better with, with uh outward displays of emotion than these folks were. It's a very kind of closed off culture. You didn't do stuff like this ever, uh, especially like out in public. This is weird. This is super out of the ordinary and it's making people uncomfortable. This show of like love and honor and, and, and like submission to the person of Christ is, is making everybody feel weird. Have you ever been in a situation where, where somebody's else, uh, where, where somebody else's display of affection or devotion to Jesus made you feel uncomfortable? Where somebody, maybe you're like in worship or something and somebody's just like super into it and, and you know, they're maybe putting a hand in the air or something and, and that, that causes a, like a negative reaction in you. You ever been in a situation like that? Where, where the response, your response wasn't like, wow. Your response was more of like, you're a weirdo. You been there? I remember um, being at a, at a conference one time, and there was a guy named Francis Chan who uh, is a uh, speaker. He's great. Um, and uh, he, he, was, he was, you know, they finished the worship set or whatever, and, and Francis comes up, and it's this huge conference. There's like thousands and thousands of people there, and, and, uh, and he comes up, and they get, you know, they get the little podium thing, and, and, and he comes up to the podium, and, and he, he walks up, and he opens his Bible, and he, and he kind of lays it out there, and it's like he's going to start, you know? And I'm, you know, he's going to say something funny or whatever to kind of get us going before we get into the text, but he doesn't. He just stands there. Like, stands there long enough that it got weird, you know? There's a, just silence. And then the, this is what happened. He hadn't said a word. And the guy's standing there, thousands of people in this huge auditorium, looking at his Bible and just starts crying. And then it starts like crying harder, like crying hard. Like there's a microphone, there's sniffling, it's kind of gross. 
And he's just like, just standing there crying. That's weird, right? If we start a greenhouse like that, you might want to go check out another student ministry. You know, like, that's, that'd make you feel uncomfortable. And it did me, and I had this battle in myself. I remember feeling this, and I remember feeling so conflicted right there in the moment of that because, because clearly this guy's, like, so uh, into whatever he's gonna, about to talk with me about that it's, 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 it's creating this, like, emotional response that's um, out of the ordinary. And I had, this, I had this struggle because on the one hand, I was like, bro, come on. There's, there's like 10,000 people here. I know you practice this message. I know, what you're, I, I know you know what you're about to say. Let, come on, like, get it together. Let's do this, right? And there was that side of me, but I didn't like that side of me. And there's this other side of me where I was like, I don't know what he's about to talk about, but if he's, as, if he's like this broken, this whatever over what he's found in God's word. Like, I, I, I want to be that, I want to, I want to be that um, invested. There's, there's almost, and so on one side, there's some cynicism. This is weird. And the other side, there's almost envy. Like, I, I want to be, I want to be, I want to weep over Jesus. Do you ever feel that battle? Maybe you see somebody around you who's, who's loving Jesus demonstrably. Like they seem like they truly do love Jesus. And there's a part of you that thinks, hey, you're a weirdo. And there's this other part of you that's secretly kind of jealous and wishes you understood Jesus the way they did. There's this woman that walks into this place with these people who are supposed to know God. And this guy's theorized, you know, the rumor is that he is the son of God. And she comes in and just starts weeping over his feet, wiping his feet with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing them with this ointment while everybody else just gapes at him. And then Simon responds with, with, with cynicism. It's not, man, I, I, I need to figure out what she knows about this Jesus. It wasn't that. It wasn't a positive response. It was, if that guy was a real prophet, he'd know. He'd know what her sin is. Everybody knew what this woman's sin was. This wasn't a hidden thing. She knew it. They knew it. Everybody knew it. Jesus knew it. She's a sinner. She's a mess. She has a monstrous mountain of sin, and everybody gets it. And the guy over here, Simon, who thinks he's got his life all together, he's inviting Jesus over for Sunday lunch. Like, he thinks he's got his stuff together, gaping at her, thinking, thinking poorly of not only her, but also of Jesus, saying, if you were a real prophet, you'd know. He thinks that to himself. And then Jesus, being Jesus, answers him, answers his thoughts. The guy's like, if you were a real prophet, you'd know. And he's like, I am a real prophet. I know your thoughts. What? Like, answers his thoughts. He says in verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answers, say it, teacher. He says this, he says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. All right, so there's two folks owe some money. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. All right, 50 is about, uh, it was like two weeks of wages. 500 was like 20 weeks of wages. All right, a lot of money. 
a lot of money. And then uh, both of them are not insignificant amounts of money, but one's a whole ton and one's a good bit, all right? When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? It's a pretty easy scenario, right? If you owe somebody like a couple of months worth of wages and they forgive you of that, there's a huge thanks. If you owe somebody, you know, like 100 bucks or something and they forgive you that, there's a, a, a thanks, but it's a, it's a smaller thanks, right? If somebody, if somebody basically forgives you of debt of, you know, like 10 grand, you're going to be a whole lot more appreciative of that if somebody forgives a debt of 100 bucks. Fair? And so Simon, Simon has to admit this. He answers, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He understands where Jesus is going with this, and he's, he's, he's like, I, I guess the one with the larger debt, Jesus, I suppose. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then Jesus, he turned toward the woman. And he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. And she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she hadn't ceased to kiss, kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. Listen to this. But he, is, he who is forgiven little loves little. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. When I, remember coming up, I can remember coming upon this passage as a teenager and, and thinking about this and, and focusing on my heart on this and saying, you know, I've, I've been studying and wanting to figure out what it means to love Jesus and what it is that, that draws us into this love relationship with Jesus. What is it that produces this, this, this love and this, this devotion? And I came to this picture of this woman doing this thing that is, is, is above and beyond. Like it's, it's full out loving Jesus' devotion. Like that's worship. That's a picture of worship. She's worshiping Jesus right there in the middle of his living room. And I come to this picture of worship, and I'm like, what's, what's driving her worship? What's driving her worship is that her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Like, she knew her sins. She knew the mountain of her sins. She knew the monstrosity of it. She knew, and she knew what she was being forgiven of, the magnitude of it. See, I think sometimes... No, not sometimes. I think that, that, one, that the reason that we love little, that we love Jesus little, is because we think far too little of our sin. If the state where you are right now is that, that, you, that you don't really truly love Jesus, then that, I think that's going to be directly connected to how, how seriously you view your sin. Think about this. If, if, if your sin is as serious as a scrape, if your sin is as serious as a scrape, then Jesus is that Band-Aid. Oh, look at, look at your, wherever you put your Band-Aid. Look at that. Like, think about, think about that. Like, if, if overall you think that you're, you're pretty solid, you've got life together, you're a good kid, man, you're not doing the stuff as other people are doing, you, you've got this together. And, and, and really, there's just a couple of little areas, you know, a couple of little scratches here and there, maybe a, maybe a little scrape of sin in your life. And, and Jesus is, is the band-aid that's going to forgive, that's going to cover that little tiny bit of sin in your life. 
If you think your sin is minor, if you think your sin is a scrape on your otherwise perfect persona, then Jesus is really only covering what that Band-Aid is covering. He's only covering a scrape. Were you, really, were you, were you deeply appreciative when somebody handed you a Band-Aid when you walked in the greenhouse? Did you want to be devoted to them for all eternity? No? No? I think sometimes we think so much of ourselves. We think that we've got everything so together and we're so polished and so pretty that, that there's not any serious thing going on. And even those things that are kind of serious, we're working on those. We're going to handle those ourselves. I really don't need Jesus for those. But there's probably some scrapes. There's some scratches. You know, I said some stuff to my mom that one time or whatever. And, and Jesus covers that. So the grace that Jesus pours over us is really a Band-Aid. And so when our sin is seen as minor, Jesus is... Grace is seen as minor, so our thankfulness then is minor. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe you're like, man, I, I know my sin's bigger than a scrape. All right, so what if, what if your sin was like a broken arm? How many of y'all have ever broken a, broken a bone, like an extremity? A few of you. I broke, I broke my left hand one time and had my, all this in a cast, and, uh, and it was annoying. It was real annoying. Had to like, steer with my uh, cast or something. I don't know. It was weird. And, and it, was, it was frustrating. And so if, if, if maybe it's, your sin is a little bit more serious than a scrape, maybe it's as serious as a break. And there's a part of you that you recognize, man, I know this, this one part of me is broken. I know I've got this one area, like I cannot stop like this, this sexual temptation thing. I've got one area that's broken, but the rest of me is good. All, this arm, this leg, and this one, man, we got, this, we got together. But I got the one thing that's broken. Then Jesus is a cast. And that's more significant than a Band-Aid. But it's still just a thing to fix your thing. If it's more serious than that, Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's life-threatening. Maybe you, maybe you see your sin. Like, just think about this. Like, how, how seriously do you view your sin in your life right now? Be honest. Like, how often do you think about this? How much do you worry over it? How broken, how upset are you over your sin? Most of you, it's a break, okay? But let's say some of you, there's, 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 there's some of us in the room who, who think so, so seriously, so much of our sin that we deem it to be life-threatening, that if we don't get it figured out, we don't get it straight, that we're heading down a path that leads somewhere we don't want to go. Like, my life, I'm not going to be able to have the career I want to have. I'm not going to have the, my kids are going to be a mess if I can't get my life together. If I can't stop partying on the weekends, my kids are going to be just like me. I've got to get this stuff figured out. There's something systemic in me that's broken. So then, what if you viewed it like like a heart problem, like a, like, a, like a chronic heart problem that can't be fixed and it's going to be terminal and, and, and then you're in need of a transplant. So then your sin is viewed as so serious, so life-threatening that you need a, like a, a, your heart to be transplanted so that you can, can be the person that you were made to be, so I can be made whole again. I need Jesus to fix this thing in me so I can be me. Is that serious enough? You'd be super thankful for a heart transplant, wouldn't you? That's not what the Bible says about your sin. The Bible doesn't say your sin is like a thing in you that's broken or wounded. It doesn't say it's a part of you that's, that's dragging you down. It says that you and I categorically are sinful. And what it says is that our sin leads to death. That we are dead in our trespasses and sin. 
It doesn't say you're injured. It doesn't say you're broken. It doesn't say you're scraped up and bruised a little bit by your sin. It says that you are dead in your trespasses and sin. And if your sin is so serious that you are dead, then, then the grace that Jesus provides is not, a, is not a fix, isn't even a transplant. It is a resurrection. And if we can get to a point where we view our sins so seriously that we recognize that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, that we are dead apart from Jesus, that we have no hope for this life, that we can't, we can't fix, we can't patch ourselves up, we can't get a trance, we can't get fixed so we can exist. No, you're already dead. What you need is to be made alive again, to be brought back to life. And that is what Jesus Christ came to die for, to bring you back to life. So when your sin is so serious that it has literally killed you, not just for this life, but for eternity, that you are dead in those sins, then Jesus is your resurrection. And you are a whole lot more thankful for being brought back to life than you are for being patched up. We love little because we've been forgiven little because we see our sin as little. If you love Jesus little, I think the problem isn't that God has gone somewhere or something and left you and hasn't given you the feels, okay? The problem is that you've forgotten the grandeur of your sin. You've forgotten what you've been forgiven of, and so since you've, like, your sin has been diminished down to this little scrape, and then you've been forgiven for a scrape, and you don't care. When we see our sin as too little, the gospel shrinks, Jesus shrinks, and your love for him, your appreciation for him, your devotion to him fades to nothing. See, I don't think the problem is with God. I think the problem is with your perspective on yourself. I think we forget how messed up we were, how messed up we are, that we were dead and we've been brought back to life, that you were destined to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's what you earned for yourself. That's what we earn for, our, every one of us earns for ourselves. And God didn't allow that to happen. He snatched you back from the grips of hell. That's what he saved you from. He didn't abandon it. Jesus says, he who is forgiven little, loves little. And when we see our sin as minor, we see, our sins, we see ourselves as being forgiven little. Verse 48, he says this. Jesus turns to her and he, he, he looks at her in the face. And he, says, he says, your sins are forgiven. The woman over here worshiping, the one broken over her sins, like, like overcome by thankfulness that what, for who Jesus was, the one overcome by him, in recognition of her mountain of sin, the one overcome by that, bringing all of that to Jesus, laying, like that one, her sins are forgiven. And it says, Verse 49, that those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? They said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The rest of the people wonder, who is this? Who is this, this one who says he can forgive sin? And the one who worshiped, the one who fell at his feet, was broken over his sin, thankful for him. The one who was broken, the one who worshiped, walked out forgiven. Everybody else walked out wondering. Simon walked out wondering. The one who was, felt weird by somebody else's display of affection and thought little of her, little of Jesus, questioned whether he was who he was. Like, he walked out wondering who he was and she walked out forgiven. I think that Luke puts that question in there for a very specific reason. When he, he, they said, who is this who even forgives sin? Wondering who he is. 
I think, I think that that's, that's literally the choice you have to make. And there's really only two options given in, in the passage and given in Scripture. There's only two options here. Either Simon's right or the woman's right. And Simon wondered, like, if this guy was really a prophet, then he would know some. Like, so Simon's, Simon's thinking this guy's a false prophet. This guy's a faker. This guy's just for show. Yeah, and maybe he teaches some good stuff or whatever, but he's, he's a fake. And if Jesus is a fake, then you need to live just like Simon. You don't need to be over here worshiping. Like, that's, that's not your gig. Like, if you, if you want to stay where Simon is and you want to doubt whether he really is who he is or not, that's okay. Like, that's your, that's not okay, actually, but that's your choice. That's one, that's one option. Simon's option of, no, he's not, he's not legit. But if he is, then the only other alternative we have is to worship like this. Is to bring the mountain of our sin before a Savior who said, I will pay it all. A Savior showed his love to us like this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. So we come before the Savior who pays for the monstrosity of your sin. And the only true response to that is to worship like her. So who is he? Is he, is he, is he fake or is he, is he legit? I mean, if, if he's a savior, then if he's your savior, then he's snatched you back from the grip of hell and, and has saved you for this life and for eternity. He's wiped away every stain on you. He's made you whole even when you didn't deserve it. That while you were still a sinner, he died for you. And we respond to that. And then, then, then it says that her, that, that her uh, it says your faith has saved you, go in peace. I want to be very clear on this. Because if you're not careful, what you read is that, that her, her act, her loving act is what saved her. And that's not what Jesus says. Look at what he says. The very last thing he says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Her show of love didn't save her. The fact that she loved much was not the cause of her forgiveness it was the result of it. Her act of love and devotion, this, this weeping over, over Jesus' feet, this, like this whole act wasn't the thing that saved her. It was the result of it. It was the result. Like her, she placed her faith in Jesus. When she did that, she saw her sin like given over to this Jesus. Like this guy's going to handle it for me. He is the savior of the world. He's come to save broken, messed up people like me. Her act wasn't the thing that saved her. Her act, what she did, her worship, was the response to forgiveness. It's very different. So what that means is that, that shows of love and affection toward Jesus don't save you. Faith saves you. So like, what that means is that if, if you want to be a person who loves Jesus passionately and deeply, that what that doesn't mean is that you just act like other people you see around you who seem like they love Jesus. So if you want to truly love Jesus, that doesn't mean that you just start throwing your hands up in worship and, and acting like you love him. That's not it. I, like you actually need to love him. You don't do more Christian-y things to show that you love him so you can somehow like fake it until you make it. That's not how this works. You don't act like you love Jesus. You just love Jesus. And what inspires love in Jesus is the recognition of what he's forgiven you for. So if you want to love Jesus, tr truly love Jesus, if you want to feel love for Jesus, then you have to feel the weight of your sin. They're directly proportional. The love that you're going to have for Christ is directly proportional to how big you see your sin. 
you see your sin as a scrape, Jesus is a band-aid. If you see your sin as eternally destroying you, then you see Jesus as your Savior. Um, if you're not a Christian in the room, what I just told you is uh, at, at once terrifying and incredible. That, um, that the Bible says that where you stand before God is um, broken and dead in your sin. And that's where every single one of us in this room was. If you're not a Christian, listen to me. Like, you've never trusted Jesus with your whole heart and life. If you don't love Jesus, listen, you were eternally separated from God by your choices. And so was I. But God didn't, God didn't decide to crush you for that. He didn't abandon you to that. Instead, he sent his son to die for you, to forgive you of all of that. And if you'll trust him, put your faith in him, believe on him, he will forgive you of everything that separates you from him. He's already done the work. He's already died on the cross for you. If you will trust him, if you'll place your faith in him, if you'll turn from your old way of life, he will forgive you tonight. You can walk out of here clean. But for most of us, what we need to do is, is, is reflect um, on ourselves just for a minute. We need to be reminded of how big our sin is. And so when I got to the end of this, man, I, I was thinking what I, what I, what I wanted to do after, this, after looking at this passage is I just needed a minute to think about how sinful I am, to be reminded of, of how deep my sin goes, and then remember what Christ has done. So here's what we're going to do. In just a second, um, I'm going to ask you just, just to scoot a few inches away from anybody. Um, and there's just going to be two passages on the screen. Um, and, and what I want you to do is I just want you to, to read the two passages. Um, the first one's going to focus on how sinful we all are. I just want you to reflect on that. And as you're going through things, and I just want you to start confessing sin to God. Like, God, I, this is where I am. This is where I am. This is what I've been involved in. And then I want you to kind of go back into the past and remember like past stuff. Maybe you've gotten past some things. I mean, praise God, but you're still been forgiven for those things. He's still brought you out of that. So then like, we're just, I just want you rolling, like remembering sin. And the bottom passage is Romans 5, 8, reminding you that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. So you're going to have like three or four minutes to reflect on those. And then the band's going to come up and they're going to give you an opportunity to worship. That woman, knowing her sin, worshiped passionately. You're going to have the opportunity to remember your sin. And then you get to choose how you're going to respond. If you're going to respond in worship, or if you're going to be Simon the Cynic. So, folks upstairs, if you'd put that slide up for me.